start. Great. Strong start. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. My name is Aaron, and across my living room from me today is Miss Sam Ferrara. What's up, Aaron? Welcome to my house. Thanks. I do like it here. <laughs> you are one of the few people who have actually spent time in my house because you uh, dog sat Phyllis while I was on vacation. I did. I'm honored that you would let me stay here. <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned in our last episode with Rachel Horder, uh, Phyllis was our first, second, like, quiet mic guest we had. Oh. So she was uh, she was there for the first episode last week. But we're back this week with Miss Sam Ferrara. Sam, the only question I always ask the guests when they come on the podcast is, do you remember how we met? Oh, my God. That was so long ago. Regale Think- the story. Okay. So I'm pretty... Ugh, now I have to, like... I have to think back. Okay. I'm pretty sure we met. Oh my gosh. Wait. Yes. We met, I think at a show and I introduced myself and you're like, was, yeah, which, good. which venue was it at? Do you remember? It was at Belcourt. Classic. I think it was like the first show I had done or wait, was it before then before I was booked? I think I had met you somewhere else, but I know I reintroduced myself at Belcourt and I was like to Amanda McCarthy. I was like, Oh, I, I need to get reintroduced. She goes, I got you. Don't worry. And she <laughs> brought me right up and she goes, this is Aaron. And you're like, Hey, what's up? And then like it, was friends ever since and here we are now i know look you at got that. i don't trust many people to stay in my space and thank you for watching phyllis oh my gosh i would do it any day of the week she yeah, was she's fresh. a good pup she had a hard weekend because oh. okay so before we get into the the music of everything uh i have to tell our listeners the crazy weekend i had so my dishwasher broke back in i think it was early may or late april mm-hmm. and uh, I ordered a new one from Costco. Great. It was a sale for the summer. It came with installation and hallway of the yeah. old one and delivery and everything. I was like, oh, that sounds like a great Costco deal. Oh, yeah. Quality. Mm. Then they sent the delivery team to my house and they took the old one out and installed the new one. And without getting into the specifics, it didn't fit right. So mm-hmm. they uninstalled it. And in the process of uninstalling it, they broke a pipe underneath my sink. And then there was just running Uh, water loose in my sink. mm. And they didn't speak English very well. So they just started yelling, towels, towels, uh, sorry, sorry. And then they just left with my water just running in my kitchen. So I had to go out and turn off the water main for my house for a day. And then I had to call an emergency plumber to have it come fixed. And I swear, I still do not have a dishwasher. No. It stressed the hell out of Phyllis. And uh, I am still having to do my dishes by hand. Uh, you know what? I do Talk a- about first world problems. It is a first world problem. But I, I do a lot of my dishes by hand. But I have like special dishes and stuff. And then other things I'll throw in the dishwasher. Listen, be lucky it's a dishwasher. I lost my air conditioning during COVID. And it was in the middle of August. And it was brutal. Three weeks without it. And then they come in and they like replaced it. It just went one day. I was like, why is it so hot in here? Think of it. I think I lost my air conditioning in my old apartment that summer too because my AC unit was right next to my bedroom window. Mm -hmm. So I'm super deaf, but they brought in a backhoe to dig out. Like, because they were installing yeah. a nice new big industrial air conditioner. Yeah, and that's what they have at our units at my house. They have like everybody has like the un- the the little big units in the back, and like 
of course it's 10 years old or mm -hmm. 10 plus years old. Our units have all been updone for a while now. And, uh, mine went out then like three houses down theirs went out and then somebody else's went out six months later. Oh, so God. like everybody was on a rotated. Oh, what a circuit. nightmare. <gasps> oh, it was stuck terrible. at home and then stuck in the heat. It was the sweatiest three weeks of my life. Where did you live during the shutdown? I was at I was at my place in South Nashville. Okay, so you had moved to Nashville. Yeah, well, I was already I was living in Nashville in 2017. So that's when I moved here. I was living in Antioch with a friend of mine until May 2018. Okay. And then I just ended up my parents got a house here in Nashville and South Nashville. And I was taking care of it for a while going back and forth. And then just decided, you know what, time to live on my own. Shifted and uh, moved right into the house and now I pay rent and I take care of that. And I didn't know you had moved here yeah. that long ago. Yeah. It'll be six years. July 1st. Did you play? Wait, what's your Nash anniversary? Mine is July 1st. That is mine too. Oh, so what? no, no kidding. We have the same <gasps> Nash anniversary. Yes! You moved here oh, July 1st, 2017. I did. So that's the same day I moved to town. No shit. Oh my God. I also lived in Antioch. What? Erin, <laughs> oh my gosh. So funny enough, I, I actually have never really talked about this publicly before, but I was originally supposed to move June 24th of that year. I had everything all set, ready to go. I was going to interview July 1st when I, when I once I was here for a week. But as I was getting ready to get my stuff together about 12 hours before I was ready to move, I actually got in a really bad car accident. Oh, no. Yeah, and I totaled my car, which was scary, but knock on wood, thank God, I walked away. But, you know, I ran through a red light, and it was an accident, and um, and I learned a lot just from that, and it took me a week to just kind of, like, get myself together. I had to get another car, and I had to get everything, and then ended up leaving on the 30th. Talk about a stressful 30th. exit from home. It, it was <laughs> the wildest thing, because it's just like you don't, everything's good one minute, and you don't think, and then the next minute, it's just life can change in an instant. So I'm lucky from that to be alive, but I've never actually really talked about it in person, and it really shifted a lot of who I was because even like I got to see my friends and stuff before I leave. So I had a little extra time, but when I moved here, I actually like I was interviewing for jobs and I was really depressed the first couple, like the first month or so I was here. Cause I was like, I just went through something super tragic and then Pretending I have nobody happen. here. Right. You I, didn't have a coping system here. I didn't. And like my mom was here for a week and then she's like, okay, we'll see you in two weeks when you come home to New York. Cause I went back to New York for a week. And when I was back in New York, I found out I got my job. So literally everything was so quick mm -hmm. in like coming together and then starting after I had moved here. But it was like the first couple of weeks I was like testing for my, my state tests for teaching. And I had my roommate and you know, I, I love my ex roommate. She's great. Um, and we're still friends now, but I don't know. There was just something about it. It just, I didn't feel right. I had other things lined up that I just was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this. Cause I don't feel ready. I don't feel right doing it. And it just really shifted everything. But once I was, set in a job and everything else it just kind of like everything came together and i felt much more comfortable to be in nashville but it where was did just you move from long island new york 
Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. Just like my shirt where it says stay salty. You got the Montauk shirt on. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. I used to spend, um, most of my summers we used to spend in Montauk. We do like a couple cool. of weeks um, out at, at house. We like literally all the way at the end of like, there's like this road, it would split and we were literally at the end. It was like a dead end road and it was such a beautiful <laughs> house. We get a view of the beach. It was cool. My aunt and uncle would always rent it every summer. We go out there. They still do it, but I don't get to go anymore because I'm here. So what was it like growing up in Long Island being so close to New York City? There were a lot of opportunities and a lot of really great things to do and go see. Like, I mean, I feel like everything was so close. Um, I mean, I was for, when I went to college, I was 45 minutes away from home. Like I could take a drive for the weekend and go home, but I lived on campus because it was better to live on campus. And I was doing so much activity, um, at at college. So like I was in the pep band, I was in music classes. I was in all this different shit. So I was, I usually didn't have an issue with going home and coming back. I had a lot of friends who would how, like. How long of a drive would it be if you went to the city from your house? On a good day, probably like 55 minutes to an oh, hour. So I didn't, I mean, I'm not really too familiar with the geography of New York. So Long Island is actually very, very close then. Yeah, yeah. It's literally where, so I, I live in a town called Holbrook and Holbrook is like it's in like the middle of long island so if i go east it's two hours to montauk okay literally and sometimes it takes an hour and a half but if you're in like long island summer it's going to take you two and a half three hours because so many people so many people are going out to the hamptons or montauk or whatever else so you usually have to go out during the week but at the weekends forget it it's it's a nightmare but the city, it's more of like 55 minutes to an hour. So it's not too far away. And then if you, you could take the LIRR, the Long Island Railroad, for anyone listening. <laughs> and uh, that usually takes an hour and a half. That's cool. Because you got all the stops. And we're like on the main, the Ronkonkoma line. We're on the main line. So it usually goes right into Penn Station. So was your family growing up all musical or were you like the one person who does music? Um, well, my mom did some music stuff growing up. She used to play, play Glockenspiel in the marching band. I've never actually <laughs> told people that before. So I this think it's one funny. time at band camp. Right. <laughs> um, and then my, my dad, I don't, my dad wanted to become a vet growing up, but he ended up, he, uh, worked for UPS for 35 years. Um, and then my mom was a nurse. So I really, honestly, it, I guess it like, there's some people that were musically inclined in my family, but I just like fell in love with it as a kid and always Do you honestly, remember what it was that kind of sparked the fire? Um, Cause I was forced to play music as a kid, like piano lessons and church choir and everything. But what actually like got me into it was playing guitar hero in middle school. That's what did it for me. You know what? Like, I mean, I took like elementary music class in, in like growing up and I was in the choir and my teacher was like, Hey, you have a really good voice. I want you to, to take a solo and like, okay. And what then I was, did taking, you you know, uh, I was a soprano. 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 Like I was soprano one for a while. I actually ended up getting laryngitis in the eighth grade where I lost my voice. Mm -hmm. So I I lost, I lost some of that high pitch, which now like, like the higher stuff. So I was normally a soprano two, alto one in like high school and college. Um, 
And now I do a lot of that, but I'm actually, I've been going to vocal lessons for the last, it'll be a year now okay. coming up that now I'm starting to retrain to get back to, get to back. some of that higher range. Um, cause I can do it. It's, it's possible. crazy how you can lose your range. If you, it's a muscle. If you don't, if you don't practice and <clears throat> don't stretch and don't use it, it will go away. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. And you know what? I took so many vocal classes, like, because training to be a music teacher. Right. And I was a music teacher for the last 10 years. Um, and I studied school for it. You have to take all these classes and you learn in vocal class that when you're like in your twenties and you're hitting your hormones and all that stuff, like your vocal range will change drastically. You could be in one spot when you're like 13 years old. And then at like 20, Five twenty six. your voice could be in a completely different range and whatever like your voice the voice is always changing until you're about 26 27 years old my voice was much deeper when i was in high school yeah because <laughs> i i don't know I, I have a pretty deep voice as it is now but it, it was actually quite quite deep when i was in high school i was the bass two section leader when i was in high school i love that for I you i could sing a low b flat one i could sing <laughs> An octave below that, or an octave above the lowest note on the piano. Oh my gosh. It was, and I, I remember one time when I was sick, I had an A flat one, which is, this is so that's low. So there's, there's no way in the world I could sing that low now, but no. that's, that's how it works. Like once you start settling into your, your mid to late twenties, your voice kind of settles. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so anyways, back, back to the question, but I was taking, yeah, I was in the choir in elementary school. I took piano and voice lessons. Was I great at piano growing up? No, but <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> um, I had to take piano lessons multiple times growing up. But um, I don't know. It was just something about being choir and my elementary music school, elementary school music teacher. She was amazing and she really like gifted and was like, hey, you're really great at what you do. And she like gave me all these opportunities that I never anticipated having and I got to being the lead in the school play. And That's then cool. I got into band and I originally, like every other person in on the planet, when you pick your instrument in the fourth grade in New York, everybody wanted to play the drums. So <laughs> what did your girl pick? The drums? But I didn't get that. I got the clarinet and I ended up falling in love with it. And what was your instrument of focus when you were doing your undergrad? Uh, clarinet and bass clarinet. Clarinet and bass clarinet. Yeah. Okay. And then I did like, and then in the seventh grade, I picked up alto sax because I was like, oh, let me do something fun. And then I can be in jazz band and I can do all these other things. So the more I picked up a lot of these instruments and I'm just so intrigued, like especially now that I'm older. I said this to somebody the other day. I'm so intrigued with learning new things and I'm always falling in love with learning. So I, you know throughout high school, I was like picking up, like, I was like, Oh, I can play the tenor sax. Like that, that's really not a hard transition. Oh, let me try the oboe. Cause that's fun. Like I actually can play the oboe. And they all have a pretty similar technique as far as playability. Um, for the most part, I think the biggest thing, it's all an embouchure thing. Um, and with oboe and bassoon and I've played bassoon too. I don't recommend that one. Um, oboe and bassoon are a double reed. So basically it's like two pieces of reed that are tied together. It's not a singular reed like a uh, clarinet or saxophone or anything Those like that. Those are all single reeds. Those right? are all singular reeds. So double reed, you have to like roll your lips a little bit and like it, it there's a whole different, like it's, it's very similar, but it's like you have to focus on making sure you're creating like 
the correct sound and it's like bringing in the corners of your mouth and all that fun stuff. So, you know, that was tricky. And then I had a difficult time in college learning flute because you're blowing into one singular hole. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That sounds so dirty. And that well, was... I'll, I'll ask Alex Omato, our producer, to insert some kind of sexy sound effect. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Alex, please do that. And, uh, <laughs> and um, that was honestly, that was the hardest thing because it was like getting your mouth in the right spot to even produce that sound. And my method teacher, she just laughed at me. She's like, I'm just going to give you an A because you can play everything else. I'm like, but I need to play the flute. And I would sit there. But thank you to my cooperating teacher who is incredible in every way, Jess Wyman. Shout out to you. Love you. And uh, she was like, no, you're going to play the flute with these kids. And I actually picked it up like during my student teaching. And then eventually I was playing in like pit orchestras and doing all these different instruments. Now I can pick up the flute and play it for my kids. And they're like, wow. And I was like, they're like, you're really good. Or like some of them will be like, this is really hard. And I said, yeah, it is hard. But like, just focus like you got it and like it 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 was fun to learn everything like I love doing that so so you had that formative teacher when you were in school that really kind of influenced the the love of music and kind of cultivated a, that love I further. had a lot of music teachers who honestly like cultivated my love for music and even in high school like my my band teacher and my choir teacher were both like when I was a freshman and a sophomore because eventually they both left retired what no whatnot they both cultivated like how i wanted to do music and they filter they just started like create like give me like ideas of things that i really was passionate about like i really love jazz music and just even from like the first three years of high school like and even in my senior year, cause I continued to study with my choir teacher after she left privately and, um, she helped me get into vocal jazz. I was like really, really big into it. I loved it. I'm so still passionate about it. Like I have like this like bucket list goal that I'm going to do a whole jazz standards album someday. Cause I'd really love to do that. And, um, I got to be in all county jazz. I was like the first kid from my school district to be a part of it and got to do it for three years. And as a sophomore, that's like a huge deal. And we got to go sing up in Albany and I got to like meet new people and just sing these incredible songs. And oh my gosh, it was just incredible. And I like, because of her, like I have so much more love for jazz and I did a lot of jazz in college too. Like I, I loved it so much. So I don't want to dwell on, on it too much, but I am curious about what some of the difficulties of teaching can be because my brother was a choir director for high Mm -hmm. school for a long time and he had a lot of stuff to say about like parents, but uh, I would love to hear about your experience being a teacher for his you said 10 years now. Yeah. So I was, um, I was a sub in New York for four years and then I just finished out six years full time with Metro schools. And honestly, my, my thing was making sure the kids had consistency in what they were doing. Granted, we all did the best that we could, but there's always like you come in, Hey, this is happening today. And no one is alerted or aware of what's going on until like the day of. And I'm like, wait a second, like I had this whole planned out unless I have it planned out like months in advance or it's on my calendar or like the week before. That's great. But the day of and then it's like, oh, surprise, this is happening. And listen, I'm to blame, too, because things happen and I'll be like, oh, hey, 
I'm just going to drop this here and just be like, sorry, I didn't tell you like, and I feel bad because it, it goes on everybody. And I think especially with COVID, COVID was really difficult because we're teaching online. We're teaching virtually. I had to stop teaching band during COVID. I think the only class I taught, excuse me, was my eighth grade class. Okay, there we go. Now, excuse me. Um, but that was super tricky. And like, you're not seeing a lot of the kids and you're not seeing what they're doing with their hands or what they sound like. Cause they're like sounds off. And I get it. Cause like these kids, they're, you know, middle school kids are like the hardest kids to teach. Cause they're, they're developing They're They, they have no idea who they want to be. Some of them are starting to push back, right? They push back. There's, there's behavior stuff. There's a lot of things. So I, I get it. And I did a lot of studying in my master's on the middle school mind. And that, was a little tricky. So I'm like, and I'm like, okay, I get it. But at the same time, you want these kids to develop to be these like incredible human beings. And some of them have it, some of them didn't, but that's okay. You know, we help them along the way. But I know COVID for me, it was a rejuvenating time, but it was also a really tricky time as an educator because you're always thinking of something new and something great to do. And there were a lot of cool things I got to do. But at the end of the day, it threw off so much of the consistency and what are kids doing at home? They weren't doing homework. So now coming back in the classroom the last couple of years now, they're not on the same track as they were before. Right. It really disrupted a lot of education. It did. And, and a lot of these kids now, like I, my aunt was a teacher, she's retired and we were even taught, we talk about it all the time. She was even saying a lot of these kids are at least two years behind in education like in just the knowledge of what we're learning it's just because they didn't have the opportunity to sit in a classroom and learn exactly there's really something to be said for classroom learning versus virtual learning and the the advent of virtual learning killed the snow day but it did it killed the snow day r.i.p snow days year zero until 2020 (laughs) but uh i would love to know how your teaching experience influenced your songwriting because certainly the one has informed the other in the past yeah Ooh, that's a great question i've i've been asked that a few times and i'm like hmm no you know what there are I think for my kids, they see me and they're like, oh, my gosh, like some of them don't even know. Well, a lot of my kids knew, but some of them that aren't taking my class every day or they don't hear that I'm like out at a show every night because I have to tell them sometimes I'm like, hey, I know you're doing this, but I'm also here doing ABC and all this other stuff. And plus, I'm, you know, so they a lot of my students got it. But I think they saw me as like, oh, Miss Ferrara, that's really cool that you're like on Spotify and you write these songs and they go and listen to my songs. And I have no idea. That's and cool. they'll come in. They'll be like, I heard your song and it's really great. Or they'll be like, Hey, did you know Miss Ferrara is a songwriter? And they're like, wait, what? That and then I'll like pull up cool. my Spotify. I'm like here. And they're like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. So it's cool. And I hope it inspired some of them to like go after what they really want to do. Like I have kids that are, I had a few kids who were like, Hey, can you like, look at what I've written or, Hey, can you help me with this? And I, um, I've that's gotta be validating. It, it is. It, and, and it's hard. Cause sometimes as a teacher, you don't get to see the validation. You don't see the hard work that goes into it. And then like seeing some of my older kids now who've graduated or in college still reach out to me. Um, they'll be like, Hey, like you've done so much for us and you don't, 
even understand. And like, it really says so much about what you do and what impact you have. So it's almost, it's sometimes you're also like putting on a show when you perform. When you're a teacher, you also have to do that because sometimes you can't show them all the sides of you, but you also can show them the things that are important. You can show them that you're not just beep boop. I'm a teacher. Right. Like I'm, I'm not you just can show like them you're a dynamic teacher. human as well. And that's really important with showing your emotional emotions and feelings and being like, hey, like I know this is normal. Like it's OK. And, you know, but sometimes there are things you do have to keep from them. But you know, they, they understand you. And when you're human with them, they're going to be human with you too. And that's cool. But I, something about that humanity that appeals to all ages. Yeah. But I, and some of their, some of these kids, some of their stories, you know, um, have impacted some of my writing. Like I, I've written a couple of songs where I've been able to be influenced by them and what, what they are. And I know like, all of them come from so many different backgrounds and you don't know what they go home to at night or what they come to during the day. And uh, trust me, I have a ton of letters and all this stuff now that I've like packed in boxes that I'll save for like ever. Um, but I know some of their stories and when they come into me, like it means so much. And sometimes I try to incorporate some of that into my writing and everybody's just the same. So Hopefully, you know, I inspire one of them. Actually, one of my former students is a songwriter, too, and he has an EP out. And awesome. it's super, super cool when he's like reaching out during the pandemic. Hey, Miss Ferrara, can I like have your help with this, like for songwriting? And I'm like, yes, like and it's great. And we got to talk back and forth during the pandemic. And it was so cool to watch him put out music that he's proud of. And he's like, what do you think of this? And would send me like demos. And I'm like, how did we get here? This is so amazing and i go watch him perform when he's out playing in antioch sometimes and it's it's fun it's really it's a really beautiful thing when you get to see your kids be one thing and then they grow up to be something else they're they're really amazing people so i'm meaningful humanity and relationships leading to impactful music and your life and the lives of your students i love to hear it yeah i'm thankful that i got to have every opportunity like that and who knows can impact somebody else in the in the future so we'll see well let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with the nashville tour stop podcast back with the nashville tour stop podcast sam ferrara is sitting on my couch i am and miss phyllis the dog sleeping through the whole thing yes oh I she am. gets up as soon as i say it um she's like you're talking about okay. me <laughs> oh sweet phyllis well i've got some stuff i do want to chat with you about but let's, let's start at the beginning i want to talk about your creative process a little bit okay because mine has been kind of my well has run dry lately, mm-hmm. so I would like to first know what do you do when you reach a point of writer's block? How do you how do you try to break that? Well, that is interesting because I definitely have those moments. I think it just really depends on the time. Like I'm always constantly coming up with ideas. So even if I'm like, I'm not writing 
four or five days a week, I am like, okay, I'm jotting down these ideas or like I'm flying on a plane and I come up with a really awesome, like I just start jotting it down. Like when it comes to me, I have to write it down. I actually, because if you don't, the idea will be gone forever. Yeah. Let me tell you about the time I actually like sang an entire verse and chorus in my car driving. I don't know where the frick I was driving to. And I literally turned to grab my phone to audio record it and forgot the whole thing. And I said, well, this is how that happens. So I tend to trust, try and get as much down as I can when I have it in my brain. So that way I don't forget that will happen to co-write too, where I'm like, oh, what did I say? And it's like, what? And I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> I'm like, I can't forget these things. This is why, like, I need to like turn on like an, a recorder or something. But, um, if there's a time where I'm like not really writing, then I'm just not writing and it's okay. But I'm always constantly coming up with ideas and then hopefully they'll be filled with more. And then I just bring those ideas to a co-write. That's cool. Yeah. I, I feel like with music, I'm so passionate about music. I've not really had a burnout yet but I definitely will say I get exhausted just from doing a lot of things on my own and just trying to get everything together I think that's really where the burnout is where I wish I had more people to delegate to versus like oh I can handle everything myself then it feels like everything crashes and burns but the writing part that's my favorite part <laughs> writing and recording <laughs> when did you start writing um okay so I'm not somebody who can say they started writing at 12 years old um after my undergrad, where I made the decision to be like, oh my gosh, like right at the end, I was like, I should be performing the whole time and not going into education. I um, decided at like, what was I, 23, 24? It was actually, no. Okay. I will actually get into this right now. So it's actually 10 years ago this weekend believe it or not, where I made that decision that I was like, I really need to go and be an artist. Happy so, anniversary. Thank you. I know. It's so crazy. I was talking about it last week to somebody and I said, I think it's 10 years ago next week. And I said, this is crazy. <laughs> but um, I, one of my biggest influences is Hunter Hayes. I, I love his music. I love his writing. I love everything about him. And I saw him perform live and he's literally just like me. He plays multiple instruments. He does write music, all this stuff. I just wasn't writing music at the time when I saw him. And I turned to my mom and I said, why am I not doing this? I, this is what I need to be doing. I'm literally a mini him. Like I can play all these multiple instruments and do whatever. And my mom's like, well, no shit, Sam. This is what we've told you for years you should be doing. And you just decided to move and do teaching like you just decided to teach so like we always knew you could do this you just needed to figure it out yourself so it was pretty much that summer and that was like 2013 where I was like oh like I'm just gonna start writing and all I did was started jotting like all these ideas down on little sticky notes and sticking them in a book and started writing these ideas down and sticking them and putting them in a book like that was really it that's how I really started writing so I wasn't really formulating ideas just or writing songs out just yet and then I visited Nashville that October and was like, this is where I need to be. That's cool. And um, I came here for a conference and I got to see Nashville. Like the first thing I did, I went to the Country Music Hall of Fame and uh, toured it for like, I just saw the whole thing for two hours. And I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. Like, I just feel right being here. And 
I was writing ever since. And um, what actually, was your first song called? It was Whiskey Memory. That was the first song I actually like really wrote and formulated myself. And well, that's a great segue to what I was going to ask next, yeah. which is let's talk about the first single. Yeah. So who me, produced me, it? Um. Well, it went through a little bit of a like change, but for the most part, um. Uh, Louise Echeverria Slice. He uh, <laughs> he helped produce it, and it had been released for originally one time, and then we went back to the drawing board and redid a lot of things. So the one the version that's currently out now was engineered and co-produced with Christian Veach as well. Cool. And what I, was it like coming into a a studio to record a song for the first time? Because I remember I was seventeen or eighteen when I did my first. Uh, studio experience so how how did that experience go did you have a clear idea of what you wanted the song to be or did you let the producer kind of guide and create with you well it it took a long process to even get the melody with this song to even begin with because honestly I was a lyricist like just writing lyrics before I actually was like okay then I brought it to another co-writer and was like hey this needs music and it was somebody completely out of my realm and completely out of the production and all this uh, that came in and was like, Hey, this is a really great melody. And I was like, okay, cool. And we put the whole thing together. Um, so going into the studio, it was just kind of like, I said, I had some ideas, but honestly I let slice take the reins on it. And it was just like, what do we think could That's be cool. added to this? What could we do here? What could we do there? And it's also nice to not have to think in, in that space because there's a reason producers do what they do is because mm-hmm. they think that way of like, what other things can be added to this song or this work tape that can enhance it? Yeah. And I think the biggest thing, especially with all the music that I've created now and knowing like we've went back to the drawing board again after recording the first time, which, you know, it's, I don't know how Nashville of a thing that is or an odd thing it could be, but like I learned so much from recording this entire, not only all this music, but this entire record that I'll be putting out eventually. Um, that, you know, like if you have ideas, step in and say something because it could be anything you want it to be. And even going the second time around with Christian, we had collaborated so much more and we put so many ideas to the forefront and it was so exciting. Like if he was like, no, we need this to be live drums. We need this to have this. We need to put that. I think it's going to sound better with this. And I said, great, let's do it. And we did it. And I was like, damn, that's a really great that's idea. Cool. And it was cool because even like, let's say with like, uh, I have a song called cold black kettle. That's also on this album as well. So we're going into record stuff now. Um, we went in and we're recording stuff and I was like, you know, I hear this tenor type of sound. We have to add saxophone into it. So Christian goes, well, if we're going to do that, we might as well just put a whole little brass thing into it. So we did. And we got Mark to come in and um, Amanda's brother. And he like tracked Mr. Mark McCarthy, Mr. Mark McCarthy. And he tracked some brass stuff. I don't know if I was allowed to say that, but he's a brass guy too. Mm -hmm. So we had a real, honestly, it, it just was so cool. The album is not what I anticipated to be this, the newer version of whiskey memory that came out is actually really what I wanted it to sound like. And like the original version that we had, that I had put out was almost like a demo version. It really wasn't like a full produced version. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing with get out of my town too. And, um, it just sounds so much better and it's like, it leveled up. 
which I'm really glad like we went back, we pulled them off, we re-released them and they did their their justice, you know. So you have a new single out as of to uh let's see. Today the day you're listening to this, the day it's released is July the 6th, but we're recording this a little bit in advance, but yeah. uh as of today, the day we're recording this, you have a, a new single out called Waiter. I tell do. us about Waiter. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you the story of Waiter. So there's a lot this mm. album is this album is kind of like all the parts of my life and when this song now my my friend steve vacante he's a songwriter too he put out his own album himself um a little earlier this year and i will say that i did not anticipate this but back in 2019 i was going through a lot of shit and he was like hey i have this christmas gift for you and i was like okay he goes i don't normally do this but i wrote a song for you and he goes i know you've been going through a lot with your ex and whatever else but he goes i had to write my thoughts about it and this is for you and i was like okay and we played the sound audio of waiter and i was literally sitting in my living room crying i said oh my gosh find you a friend who writes a song for you about you like this is nuts and i said damn i said we're taking this and we're gonna put music to it this is crazy so february of 2020 this before everything shut down i said slice we need to put we came up with a whole melody for it and came up with this whole thing and i got to sing it out once or twice before everything shut down and I just said, man, this is going to be this is going to be a great song. So every time I like sing it, it's just an empowering song about like not waiting for anything, not waiting for a man, cutting out all the bullshit. Like, do do you want to be part of this or not? And that's that's what this song's about, man. And I'm so thankful. That's like one of the best christmas gifts i ever got (laughs) i gifted my friend his first cut as like a single like he's super excited it's gonna be on radio sobro hey like check out radio sobro it's gonna be it's gonna be sick but like basically like ladies you don't wait for no man like you ain't gonna wait and tolerate all this crap that they're gonna pull you through and that's exactly believe it or not what my ex did he pulled me through three years of bullshit and like it was so waiter is gonna be part of the a greater album yes. called Peace of Me. Peace of Me. <laughs> and that's going to be coming out on July the 28th, which yes. is here in just a few weeks. But oh today, God. the day you're listening to this, the 6th of July, mm-hmm. the year of our Lord, uh, Kelsey Ballerini, tomorrow is when the pre-save <laughs> for this album comes out. It is, yes. So please make sure you pre-save it. And like I said, it's all the parts of my life that I went through in the last seven or eight years coming to Nashville, going through the whole process and whatnot of my life and the stories of it. Some stories are before I moved here. Some stories are while I moved here, Uh, you know, and it's just, it's all the parts of me. And I'm very excited for people to actually get to hear like some of the stories and the true things that really did happen. Cause I don't lie about my storytelling. Like I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to be <laughs> flat out honest. Like You got that, you got that, that no nonsense New Yorker in you. Absolutely. So <laughs> for me, I'm just super excited and believe it or not, I actually did a listening party uh, a couple weeks ago uh, with some family and cool. friends at home. And I just was like a couple days before I was like, Hey, come over. I want you to listen to the album for the first time. And 
it got such a great response. That's I'm awesome. super, super excited. I was very happy to do something like that. For people who have not heard your music before, can you give us your elevator pitch on what your uh, genre, your style, your 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 mood might be? So for the most part, I am country. I write country music and um, it's just given a little bit of a twist. So this first album is more of like I kind of explore and push genres a little bit um so like i have a song that's kind of like country rock ish i've got singer songwriter i've got your ballad i've got your like regular country but for the most part i i have a song that's i consider it country jazz (laughs) however we call it but it really like Like I said, like these are all the genres that influenced me. And I wanted to showcase all of that in my first record because that's who I am. That's part of my person. Like I'm not going to I got to be truthful about that. I got to showcase everything I am and everything I want to be. Mm -hmm. And it will help actually launch into which we're already talking about getting ready to record album two. And all the songs that will go with that and kind of getting the ideas out on the table already. Um, but I'm just so excited. I can finally say this is coming out. I'm finally like it, it's going to be everything I want it to be. And I'm super stoked. So for the most part, it's country, if that answers your question. But it <laughs> mixes little sprinkles a little different, but it's very unique. It's under the umbrella of the greater country. Yes, as they say. Well, Sam, can you give us some plugs? Where can people find you online, your social media? Where can people link up with Sam Ferrara? Yeah, so you can find me um, at Sam Ferrara Music. Uh, Ferrara, F-E-R-R-A-R-A. Just look at your episode title right now. Look at the episode title. It'll tell you exactly (laughs) how to spell it with music at the end. Um, At at this point, I will have a website up. So hey. samferrarmusic.com. And uh, yeah, and that's, you should find me, search Sam Ferrara. You can find me anywhere. Sam Ferrara on Spotify and Apple Music and yes. presumably everywhere else you can find music. Yeah, exactly. Well, y'all, thank you so much for uh, listening to the podcast this week. Sam, yeah. thank you for joining us. Aaron, thank you for having me. I would talk all day. Thank man. you for coming and hanging with me and Lil <laughs> Phil again. Anytime. I'll always come back and talk. You're and always out. welcome to hang out with my dog. Love but in it. the meantime, y'all, please give us a follow at Nashville Tour Stop on your social media platforms. You can find us at Nashville Tour Stop on the web, finding our full event calendar. As I've been teasing for weeks in the past, we've got an announcement coming, and there's so much cool stuff in the works for Nashville Tour Stop that I cannot wait to broadcast. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But until then, please do remember that all roads lead right back here to the Nashville Nashville Tour Tour Stop. Stop.